This is a production of Cornell University. Uh, thanks, everyone, joining. The, uh, this is going to be episode 15 of the Cornell Turf Show this spring. Uh, we're excited to have a, a practitioner on today, Sean Keister, Director of Grounds at Longwood Garden. Sean, you've been a, a live viewer for all our spring uh, spring episodes this uh, this year, so we're happy to have you on today to talk about your practical knowledge. Frank, we're getting a little bit out of the ivory tower here. We're going to talk to some boots on the ground, so we're excited to hear uh, some of the, the really cool kind of sustainability initiatives, data collection initiatives that Sean's got going at Longwood. So we'll uh, we'll transition into that conversation a little bit later. Uh, but as always, Frank, um, you know, we're, we're kind of always got these weather swings. I know you, you'll update us a little bit on the weather. Uh, what do you got for us this morning? Well, I got what happens when you try to get too close to the air conditioner, right, Sean? Not, not, not a good, not a good move here. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thanks, Carl, and thanks, Sean, for for joining us. You know, this is the time of year where uh, where everybody's out mowing, particularly in our neck of the woods, right? This is time when things start growing at a really rapid rate. So let's just look at the weather for a second, and it starts out with. Um, uh, you know, understanding how the season has progressed. And if you don't visit this website regularly, I commend it to you as an easy look to see, you know, are we ahead? Are we behind? Are we sort of at normal of what I might expect? Now, you got to remember, normal's changed quite a bit in the last 20, 30 years with the changing climate, of course. But this is a good indication, as you can see, that, you know, most of us in the Northeast are well ahead of normal, although as you get down to Philly and where Sean is down there, uh, it, you know, they're like in a sort of in-between pattern where it was warm and, and now it's sort of holding on. And a lot of people are talking about how the blooms uh, have been so persistent the, the last several weeks due to some of the cooler weather. Well, from a lawn perspective, if you're out in the professional lawn care industry, certainly you're out. Uh, thinking about crabgrass at this time of year, right? The forsythia bloom is probably half green, half gold by now. Uh, most probably have their pre-emergent materials on it towards the southern part of the region. Uh, but you can see that the crabgrass is still early germination for those of us further north. Uh, as you see along the lakes, the germination prediction is a little bit more advanced. And those areas of the state uh, around Rochester and Buffalo are the most advanced in the entire Northeast region as far as relative to normal. So it's been unusually warm uh, in the balmy Buffalo and Rochester, not something you associate typically with things being cooler. But obviously the other thing we're seeing a lot of, and this is a picture from a, a somebody in Ontario that was, uh, you know, lambasting the community for banning herbicides and saying, you know, this is the right of spring up here in Ontario. So, you know, many years ago, the herbicides were banned, uh, synthetic materials were banned from the consumer market, one of the few places uh, in North America where that happens and is regularly enforced. Uh, the municipalities as well uh, do not use and haven't for almost a decade now uh, any herbicides. So they rely a lot on corn gluten meal uh, and Fiesta. Now here, here in our country, <laughs> We use uh, 2,4-D and other broadleaf herbicides. And there are two formulations that you can typically buy these products in, either the ester or the amine. And it's worth noting here as the favorable time for 
both Esther and Amin uh, begin to progress. Uh, if you're going to make a spring application, which is not always my favorite recommendation because it's unlikely to give you a complete kill, the best chance you got is by following these models that have been developed around uh, timing in the spring, a movement of photosynthetic material from the leaves to the roots that has some chance of getting some long-term kill here. So this is really the only guiding principle we can give you on good uh, broadleaf herbicide use in the spring is try to use these models that are available at our forecast website to do this. Now, <laughs> nothing's going to stop people from going out and doing the five in one, right? We, we figured out a way to stuff everything into granules and bags. And I think herbicides are at Q4 or Q5 now where you get grass and sedge and broadleaf and pre-emergent control all in one. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that I understand them from a convenience perspective, but it's virtually impossible to get all the timing of control of these things uh, done at the same time. Nevertheless, labor and time that people have is what, you know, the lack of those things is what's make these products uh, convenient and widely used. But none of us in the professional ranks would necessarily defer to something like this, I would hope, because we have some flexibility and knowledge to know when is the right time to do things. So as we move forward and we start talking about growth and get into our discussion with Sean, we'll start out with one of the things that gets and keeps things going, and that's the moisture. And while we like the hanging around Rich Buckley that wherever he goes, it's going to rain, uh, he is likely to be in a drier part uh, of the region. Now, what's not known, number one, is it's been fairly dry as you get into the center part of Pennsylvania and into uh, the Hudson, into Orange County and uh, New York and down in the Allegheny Plateau, you see some really dry spots there as evapotranspiration levels start to build. Now, you notice in the other map uh, that's projecting out uh, into May, the second week of May, there's a line between normal and above normal precipitation that looks like it's at the bottom of Pennsylvania and uh, excluding South Jersey. Now, that's the line that's going to move. And as that line moves over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have more or less rain, wet to the north, drier to the south. Uh, it's going to be uh, cooler to the north and warmer to the south. So in general, we're going to see some very interesting shifts in growth. Number one, temperatures are going to be much warmer in the evening time, which is going to keep the average above normal, and that's going to keep the cool season grasses well on their way to active growth. Now, we had Bill on the show, Bill Kreiser, uh, on the show a number of years ago, a number of years ago, oh, yeah, yeah, it felt like a number of years ago, Carl. It was only a few weeks ago that we had Bill here talking about the difference between growth potential that you predict based on this model here and what you actually measure when you collect clippings. So you see the blue line here on unirrigated Kentucky bluegrass. There's a lot of good growth happening on this bluegrass in the early part of the year, drops off in the summer months, and then picks up again later in the season. So there's a little bit of a bimodal pattern and a very dry uh, period there. Now, if you're growing tall fescue, it appears to be a little bit different right, where you do not see as much aggressive spring growth. And this grass, as the climate's changing, is going to be more uh, aggressively growing during the summer months and then drop off in the fall. So this is irrigated tall fescue that doesn't appear to be following that bimodal curve. So it's really important to understand the grasses that you're growing because eventually <laughs> with the rainfall coming, we're going to have situations like this 
where we've got to deal with clippings. Now, for those of you in working in the urban landscape, now, Sean, you're a little bit removed off there in Longwood. You've got some pavement that you've got to deal with, but this is a rite of spring really throughout the Northeast, unfortunately. You know, we're spilling fertilizers, we're blowing clippings. Um, you know, we, we don't want to use blowers. So we got people out there trying to brush the pavement uh, with the clippings. And, you know, we turn a lawn that should be a green filter, right? Where it's filtering these things into a gray funnel, right? We're putting all these clippings into this gray funnel that allows the things to get into the waterways. And I've been a, a sort of really beaten on this the last several weeks and just reminding everybody about our urban fertilization guidelines that was developed a number of years ago by our scientists up here in the Northeast. And in there, you'll see for non-sensitive areas and for sensitive areas, the way we recommend very little nutrients. In both of these cases, you see if you're making only one fertilizer application or two fertilizer applications, right? You're just in that time where you might make one now. Most of it as slow release nitrogen, more than 50% as slow release nitrogen. So I'd really want to avoid a good slug of nitrogen now because I don't want this, right? Which is likely to happen uh, as we progress. Now, listen, Sean, you know, as we transition to you here, um, you know, I, I, uh, I know you've done a lot with watering, uh, but because this time, and we're going to have you back on, don't worry to talk about the watering and the, uh, the cool stuff that you do with that. And I know you were an early adopter of the in-ground sensors and the UGMO technology. So I, I certainly want to have you back to talk about that. But today, I want to talk about the way you mow these things, because this has been a consistent point of discussion among people. Now, certainly in a formal garden like this, you see the striping. I remember when you built this beautiful little amphitheater there. This is just such a beautiful thing. For those folks that uh, have never visited this spectacular piece of land, you, you got to get yourself down there uh, to see the great work that, that Sean's doing. I don't have any of the patterns there, Sean, but I do have you know some of the data that you collect, uh, like when you start mowing, and you can see um, you know, it's, it's very variable there. It looked like you were mowing earlier. It's something that varies a lot uh, over time, but it is a piece of data. It looks like you're not, uh, mowing in some areas there, uh, for reasons. And of course, you know, Dan talked about this at Cornell, uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, where we've been doing it and promoting it for using less gas. I picked up this picture because I thought it was cool of you guys mowing with the fly mow. Uh, this is a lecture I guess you gave at Longwood uh, not long ago. And here are the questions for today, pal. Um, you know, as, as you look at the 22 years managing what, 170 some odd acres there at Longwood, I'm sort of interested in how things have evolved over that time. And, and where you've made adjustments, both I know I want to hear a little bit about mowing. Certainly, I know we'll hear about watering. And then, you know, as you've collected data, how's that helped? And then, you know, a lot of people listening or tuning in, you know, are wondering, well, that's really good. He's at Longwood. You know, I'd like to, I don't know where to start, right? Where's, it, where's a good entry point? So let me uh, stop sharing and take a look at you and, Start with that first question, you know, 22 years at a place like that. 
Um, and I know, I gosh, I, I guess we've known each other at least 15 of those years uh, interacting since you had me down there. Um, tell me what it's like, how it's changed over the years. Well, thank you for having me on. I, I told Carl, this is like my TED talk. So this is the rock stars of Terp. So I appreciate it. Um, but it, so it, it's an evolution, right? It's I, I came here 22 years ago. I remember this the, the day I drove up for my interview, coming off of Route 1, coming through the, the main entrance and thinking, this is very naive of me then, how easy it was going to be because all I saw was yellow, meaning we had dandelions everywhere. And it, it was an evolution because at that time and place, Longwood wanted to every day, do everything they could sustainability-wise from a turf standpoint. And that meant we, we were not allowed to put broadleaf weed control down. So it had to do with picking the right species, making sure we get the soil in shape. So over time, by tracking information and having that data point, I then was allowed to have more tools given to me for my toolbox. So that didn't mean that, hey, Sean, go out and buy your, your boom sprayer and start spraying. It's like, no, what areas is going to be affected by the display? What areas does the public? So I think you can see the image behind me. So this is one of the mowing patterns. It's, it's really a brush pattern, right? We can't mow this. We do this like you do on a baseball field. We do it with brooms and water pressure. But we started asking, what what is what can turf add to the display at Longwood? And more importantly, what can we do not to take away the display of our landscape managed areas, right? We call it the frame. It's the frame of the 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 the, the aesthetics that we have. And right. so don't so, detract from that. So 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 when you got there and it was all yellow, you didn't use any herbicides. It was a matter of systematically fixing the soil, putting the right species in irrigating them properly. And so for how many years have you not used synthetic herbicides out there? So we were not allowed to use any herbicides. Let's see if I, in 2000, probably in 2004. So maybe the first five years here, we were not allowed to use any herbicides on the turf grass. And then we slowly opened it up and we said, okay, this is a high priority area. And so we have maps of all the gardens and we said, okay, how about this area? If we do one application in the fall to reduce the pressure. And then the other tool I use is I said, you know, what message are we sending to the guests at Longwood about managing turf grass if we have, I mean, truly some of the areas were 100% weeds. And so I, I use, I said, well, turf is a great filter. I said, so we're, we're allowing more runoff. We have bare ground in the wintertime. I said, this is the, the wrong message. And so it slowly got handed over. And so then we could do a little bit of broadleaf weeds. Then we could open up and do some aeration and overseeding. Um, but when I first came here, Longwood has really good topsoil but it was extremely, extremely high in magnesium. And so the soils were very tight. And so we put a lot of high cow lime down in gypsum to get our soils in shape. And now part of it is, is from your training of me, Frank, is we're now on a five-year rotation for soil testing. We have the soils in such good shape now, we don't need to do them every year. Now the one behind me, that's sand-based. So we do test that uh, once a year, but it was just an evolution. It was getting um, my bosses comfortable with me? How was I going to manage things? And it all started with those data points. Um, and once you have data points, then you can say, hey, you know, we start mowing typically now. We need to have this many staff members. And so we slowly grew. We had uh, five full-time uh, turfgrass technicians. We're up to seven full-time turfgrass technicians that we have. And so it's, it's that evolution of learning things, uh, learning what Longwood is about, learning the message we want to give to the guests. Because I'll be honest with you, there are guests that see behind me and they think I'm a nozzle head and we do not do that. I mean, and so that's part of our education too, that we do not, the turf behind me is not sprayed on a weekly basis. It does not have broadleaf weed control used all the time. Um, 
you can do that if you get your souls in shape and you do the right strategies um, with things. And so that's part of our part of our mission. So, making- so little by little, you've had to adapt to allow certain things to, uh, uh, you know, remove some shade issues, improve traffic flow. And I would imagine that was a big deal uh, during COVID that traffic created a stress maybe you hadn't seen uh, in the same way. I, I don't know how, how you guys restricted during that time. But one of the things that it does make me wonder about is it, it is like an afterthought. I mean, most people are not thinking about, well, yeah, Sean, okay, the grass, would you please cut it? If you cut it, it looks good. I mean, we get this a lot. Mowing solves a lot of weed problems because nobody notices them if they're not flowering until you bring it to their attention oh, we have bare ground, oh, we have this. So how, I guess, again, we got a lot of people listening and might be saying, yeah, I can't even get them to pay attention to me. I can't even get them to realize what's happening. What were some of the earliest steps you took to say, hey, (laughs) you know, we got to fix this. And here, before you even embarked upon a plan, I feel like so many people can't get their own administrator's attention for these things or their own bosses in a lawn care operation attention for these things. What advice would you give those folks? Well, first it starts with, you got to be professional, right? That's the first thing. So I'm a, I'm a stickler on terms and I'll get my, I'll, I'll pick on my crew sometimes when they use it. It's not just turf, right? And we're not mowing guys. So they are turf grass technicians. They all have four-year turf degrees. And I said, we're here to elevate that. I said, just like we have uh, horticulturists here that have a lot of years of experience, the same thing from turf. I said, so you have to look at it through that lens and communicate it through that lens that you're not just out there mowing. So like, I'll have the hort team sometimes, they're like, you guys just mow. And I go, no, that's not what we do uh, for things. Or they'll say, well, you can go get sod, right? Sod is like carpet. You buy it by the yard. So if something goes wrong, just go resod it. And I go, no, that's not our sustainability initiative. That's not what we're trying to do. We have that tool in our toolbox, but that shouldn't be our first gut feeling. We need to protect the turf or we're going to set a stage up. Okay. Uh, we have to educate performing arts about this. So it's, it's using those right terms, I think, Frank, to make sure that people realize you're elevating it up to what it should be. It shouldn't be the mow and blow guys. That's not who we have here at Longwood. And that's not so- who I selected. Well, it's clear that what you've been able to do is communicate it, and it's clear that you've got a staff that can do it, but you've also had to make adjustments in, in equipment, in the, you know, the, the, the way you do line trimming, uh, the, are you under pressure for energy use? And then, you know, to lead into my next question, have you raised the mowing height to mow less? Have you found areas where you mow them less frequently and what does it take to manage that less frequently mowed area versus a regularly mowed manicured turf like behind you? Because I think a lot of people look at them, Sean, and they say, oh, yeah, well, they're not doing anything over there, right? They, yeah. they, they stop mowing, they're not doing anything as if it's no management. And I wonder if you couldn't talk to us a little bit about what that looks like to manage a area you don't mow as much intentionally. Sure, sure. So that's a great question. So um, those of you who don't know, so so Frank was part of our peer review group back in 2012, and one of the, one of the, the, the items that came out to us was why are you mowing everything weekly? Right? Great question. So we took that to heart, and we stopped mowing certain areas weekly. And Frank, I thought I communicated. I had maps. I had everything down. After six months, they're like, "What are you doing?" That's right. Said, they're well, gonna remember string we you up. We were, 
<laughs> we weren't going to mow these areas. And um, so we took it too far. So we had, to, we had to peel it back. And so areas that I thought were no brainers of these aren't going to be impacted by the guests or the guests isn't going to aesthetically, they didn't work. So we peeled that back. So probably about half of those areas that we took out, and there was probably about three acres worth of turf where we said, we'll just mow monthly, right? We'll take it down. Um, what we learned too early on is if you stop mowing, you're going to have weeds that come in. So you make sure you stay on top of it. So we do make sure we go through with a um, pre-emergent and we do do a broadleaf weed control now as needed for those areas. But there are areas now that are, that we're probably down about one and a half acres that we only mow once a month now that we've gotten to that aesthetic. And the other one, we use it as a tool. So one of them is in our grass overflow parking lot. What better way to keep security and other people from putting a car in an area than having the, the, the tall grass? And so instead of putting a fence up that they could take down or a string line, we now have it up. So they know they, if they can't go in it, right? Because nobody's going to park a car in it. So we use that as another tool uh, in our toolbox for this. But you're absolutely right. It was a learning curve. We thought we were doing the right thing. I thought I was doing the right thing but it just didn't fit with our aesthetics. And so being a public garden, um, you always have to keep that in the back of your mind that it's that balancing act between what are you doing input wise for turf grass to the aesthetic part that the guest is, is, is not going to be discouraged by. But we, we also did a trial in the gardens uh, with Penn State University about di using different fine fescues, hard fescues, things like that. It was one of the best trials we ever did. It was front and center. We had information on it. I don't know how much uh, playtime I got off of that by guests asking me as well as other people outside of Longwood asking me what did you learn how did you do things and there's a local golf course down the road that learned from it and they did hard fescue along their road edges and they don't mow them now and they're like we learned this by senior trial um, so it was just a great offshoot that we did but it all started with I'm, I'm very curious by nature I want to know I want data to back it up right I don't want to do a knee-jerk reaction and do a, a well thought out plan um, for things the other misnomer too, being at Longwood, is people think we have unlimited resources. Granted, we have very good resources. We do not have unlimited resources, right? So we have to be smart about it um, for things. Now, going back well, to COVID, yeah, Frank, go ahead. We, we unfortunately, I don't know how it was in New York. So we were put in the bucket of casinos and uh, movie theaters. So we were closed for two and a half months. So we were an outdoor venue that was told we had to close until we could get to the green phase. So PA did red, yellow, green, we couldn't even open in yellow. So it was the most disheartening thing to know that we have 1,077 acres, 350 with which is open outdoors. We cannot let a guest inside. Um, it was heartbreaking. We're working on that now because it's part of an education. We need to educate our government about what Longwood is about. But from a knee-jerk reaction, they put us in the wrong bucket and we had to stay closed. And it was heartbreaking to see in the spring, one of our best spring displays ever, our thousand tulips that came up our geophyte display uh, nobody could see them uh, uh, and so we had to, we had to go through that but once again it was a learning lesson for for all of us yeah right? well listen one of the things that forced a lot of people to realize and you know I, there's two things i want to go back with you about one is to the mowing thing and the weed control issue because it's real and what you describe is exactly a lot of times what golf courses have to do with these naturalized areas on the property where they have weeds that come in, they've got to use pre or post-emergent products to keep the weeds out. So, um, you know, that pretty much, I, I think over time, you'd like to think you don't have to spray a pre year or sedge doesn't become a problem. You can't get away with it, can you? No, 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 not no. true. Not true. We, no. we, we, have not, we have not hit that sweet spot where we can skip that. Okay. 
All right. So that's the first thing that the, the first thing there, the, 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 uh, this, uh, what was the second thing we were talking about? The fine fescues along the roads growing. Yep. The use of data over time. That was the transition I wanted to make. Thank you very much for bringing up data. You say you had data points. You must have people above you who you who understand data, idea data, and have understood it for a while. You you know, saying like you've been at it for the last 15, 20 years. Um, how do you start that? Is it simple numbers and, you know, simple things like the first time we start mowing? That's something good. We should know that and track that. How do you decide what data is good to take and what can be made of? Well, a lot of it comes back to, to Frank, our budgets. And so by having like our start mowing date, I can say, if we're going to contract out an area, I know historically it's going to take 26 cuts a year, Right. Or if the, if the growing season is longer, I say, hey, to our accountant, this is why it cost me two extra cuts, right? The growing season, the temperature was this. So by having that data, you have to justify everything that we do now. Um, just about all of our species of turf here, we do turf type tall fescue. Uh, we look at the NTEP trials. We, we look at the best ones. And our mowing height, to your point, is we mow at three to three and a half inches. So we mow taller, right? We could probably go down to two and a half inches. But I say, why? Like, why are we doing that? Going back to we want... The, the, the guests to leave and say, well, if Longwood's doing it, right, I can do this at my home lawn. I don't need to be um, doing that, right? We're, we're constantly learning. We're constantly giving out that education to them. Um, so we can hopefully change that perception and change the image. Like, quite, quite frankly, something's yeah. got to change. I mean, you brought it up, the five in one. I love yeah. going to Home Depot and seeing stuff like that, oh, and please. I laugh. I'm like, oh, please. Well, uh, listen, th this is what the grassroots exhibit at the National Arboretum was going to try to do a while ago. I'm so glad to see you committed to that. And Carl, how about some questions? Are there any questions or comments you have uh, for Sean? Yeah, so I think one of the things you mentioned, Frank, is, is for some of the people listening who have very few resources and are trying to communicate to their bosses. Um, Sean, I hear you uh, talking a lot about how you had to kind of scale up your resources when you started at Longwood, kind of identifying, so you're starting with these data points and then you're kind of scaling up based on priorities. You talked about varieties, you talked about soils. How important is it uh, when you first go to your boss and start talking about, hey, I'm, I need some more resources. How important is it to prioritize and try and scale, create a plan to scale up uh, when you go into that first sort of conversation with um, you know, with the people above? No, absolutely. I mean, you have to have your vision, right? So you say, this is where we're at. This is where I want to get. These are the steps that it's going to take incrementally to get there. And so the first step for me was, hey, we're mowing everything the right way. We have the right species in here. The soil is where it needs to be. How about we have this next tool and we start prioritizing where that tool is going to be used, right? So it's not you're asking for a significant amount of dollars. It's a little bit, right? And then we got some savings. The one item I didn't mention is, is we used to use all organic fertilizer here and we went away from that. And so now we only put down fertilizer in the fall. We use a slow release product called Duration and that cut our fertility in half. So I had a huge labor savings from that as well as a product savings that I could then roll and say, hey, you know, I'm doing this sustainable item. How about I use those dollars for this other tool that I need? And it's, it's all about that. And, and uh, luckily at Longwood, we're all on the same page in terms of our vision. We want to elevate, we want to do things, but we want to keep it in a sustainable way. And once you do that, you can do it. Um, the stuff behind me, right, that didn't happen overnight. That wasn't year five. That wasn't year mm -hmm. 10. That was, that was much, much longer. That was me pushing, pushing, the, pushing my folks uh, to keep them engaged and to keep them wanting to do more. I'm like, you know, yeah. can we do this, right? 
and the, the, the pattern behind me is one of our senior turf grass technicians. He took it to heart and he's been doing this for five years now. And he comes up with all this himself. And I just stick back, hand back, stand back and go, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing what we did. I'm wondering, Sean, when you didn't get the visitors and it was just you guys doing the work, did you notice bad habits about the way you guys moved around the garden? Are there some places you drive mowers like on golf courses, everybody drives, you know, a lot of people were shut down and they could, you know, there was no golfers to complain about. It's like, Oh, look, there he is still dead. Maybe it's us. Did you get a look at some of the things that you do through a lens that you hadn't seen before and make some adjustments based on that? So when, so when it first shut us down, which was March 13th, not only did it shut the guests down from a staffing standpoint, we prioritized. So we were just gearing up to start mowing and we were told no, 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 nobody that was not essential. So I could come to work. My team couldn't come to work for the first week. So I'm sitting here sweating bullets going, if we don't get them here, we're going to have a hay field. And then I had to tell them the unfortunate news, which I repeated to them. I said, I will never, you will never hear me use these words again. I said, but due to the pandemic, just mow the grass. I said, you just need to keep it maintained. I said, don't worry about string trimming. Don't worry about edging. I said, because we didn't know what our staffing level was going to be given it. I mean, if you recall back, I mean, we truly thought the sky was falling. We didn't know what was, what was, so we told everybody, stay away, come here. The guys literally came in for two or three days a week and they just cut. It's like, just cut it, just cut it, just cut it. And um, that was the same point too, where the conservatories that we have, we had to start making hard decisions because we were gearing up for the next display, right? What do we do? We have a greenhouse full of crops. Well, the next one is coming and what do we do? And so we had a lot of heart-wrenching decisions to make about uh, the compost stream and where these plants were going. And, um, but we all got through it. And so it just goes back to communication, but. Did yeah. you notice any, any, any negative effects from uh, having to let it grow or did it get out of hand to the point where you violated the one third rule and, and did the grass uh, get weakened a little bit? So we violate the one third rule. So it was interesting, <laughs> you know, we have 5 million geophytes in turf grass locations. So if you want to have an area not to mow, which is not, I'm not suggesting this, um, you're going to violate the one-third rule. And so the, the grass will turn brown. It will look unsightly. It will be weedy for a while. And we're learning through that as well. But absolutely, Frank, uh, there were areas that as you're not as bad as the image you showed, but we definitely were making some hay in some areas. But we caught up. I mean, we just did what we normally do. We caught up and the turf responded. And, and we're, we're back to pretty much normal from, from that standpoint, at least for this year. Well, we're getting close to wrapping up, Sean, and I just want to ask you one more thing because it is a you know pressing issue, and and you are seeming to take a lead in communicating things. How are you talking to the people who you've been around for twenty something years about how the climate's changing and how it's impacting what you're doing? And I'm assuming you're noticing it. I thought your start date thing was a little bit interesting, but tell me how you're even having that conversation with people in the garden. So absolutely. So I'm also responsible for the arborist team. And so the, the, the nursery woody plant production team. So we've started that Frank from the tree side where we know now we have climate change models that um, the forestry service worked with us on. And so we have a hundred year model. that will tell you which species are going to be declining in habitat increasing. And so when we go to put a tree back. We now use that model to do it. And we also have a specimen tree replacement plan to preserve our historic trees. So we unfortunately, Right when that pandemic started, 180-year historical cucumber magnolia national champion, cu national champion um, cucumber magnolia uprooted. Wow. We luckily 15 years ago had a cutting from that tree, and so we replanted that tree in kind to preserve it. We call it keeping our hand on our on our um, founder's shoulder, 
And so preserving the past to move forward. And so we have a, a genetic replica now that'll be tethered to that historic tree, knowing that we've kept the genetics alive. So I am, I am, we're, we're all over it now. I am so glad I asked that question, Carl. Aren't you glad I asked that question? Sean, what a joy having you, pal. It's so great to see you. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, I'll look forward to doing this again when we're talking watering, because that stuff that you're doing is really worth uh, everybody hearing about. Thanks a lot, Sean. Carl, it's all yours, brother. Yep, as always, Sean, uh, th that was awesome. It's great to hear what, what you guys are doing at Longwood. So for our listeners, viewers, you know, Longwood Gardens down there in Pennsylvania, you know, to go check it out. Uh, if you're not watching the, the visuals behind Sean that he's got of those aesthetics of the turf areas are, are pretty cool. So I uh, appreciate you coming on, Sean. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, our Thursday golf show, we'll have Jim Brosnan on from Tennessee. We'll be talking some weed stuff. Uh, always exciting. But until then, uh, take it easy, everybody. See Good you guys to next see you, week. Sean. Thanks Thank so much. much. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web at cornell.edu.